0: well i know that it's cold and i know that you're here and i know that you daylight savings no football games no new year's party so thank you for making church a priority this morning first of all let's start with some accolades for some well done you you can celebrate ralph's birthday you don't want to miss that right ralph you don't turn 71 every week i mean this is a big birthday for you you're going to get your driver's license this week a lot of good things are going to happen this week all right (laughs) And still comes with a Model T. Everyone gets a driver's license and a Model T. (laughs) Ralph has been guiding children. I don't know if you guys knew this. Ralph has been the crosswalk so long that there's children that he's probably walked back and forth that now come back with their children, like March has done. So Ralph, thank you for being faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. You got to love God's servants that are faithful, faithful, faithful. And so, Kevin, it was nice that you drove Ralph's car in from high school. That was nice today that he could see that. And you know, a lot of good stuff going on here. I want to encourage you guys to keep praying about some of my personal stuff. I'm not going to make too much time today, but things are going in the right direction. And obviously, if we have more information, we look forward to sharing with you. But sometimes I don't want to get in front of this situation because I feel like that could be problematic, although I've been told not to be worried about that. Who by worrying is added one day, right? And the scripture says something like that, right? Yet we all kind of talk about that. Well, today I'm going to share with you from Acts 23. We're still continuing in Acts. We're almost done. I think we have like five more weeks into the book of Acts. And I want to share with you something that's really exciting about the book of Acts. So those of you who hear a word like theology or orthodox, does that kind of, is that problematic for you? Most of you using those every day. You got your comfort with those? Orthodox. So orthodox in, in talking about religious things is the practices. Like when we do communion, okay? That is an orthodox of what we do as Protestant believers. We're Protestants, we're protesters of the original church, the Catholic church. What the Catholic church actually means is universal. And Martin Luther was kind of the founder of that, and he protested the church with what was called the 85 Thesis, all the different things that was wrong, and we were birthed from that. So orthodox are some of the practices that we've carried from that. Baptism and communion are some of our main orthodox, sacraments that we call them. But today I have the privilege of sharing with you guys a theology, okay? A theology is a little bit different. Two words, theos, uh, God, study of God. And the idea, is the theos is when we study the attri- one of the attributes of God today, we're going to study something about God that's not seen all the time, but it's true. It's just, it's not necessarily a focus. Now, Acts is the book on the church starting up. Some other books in the Bible are much more theological-based, and so you get a lot more teaching on that. So I'm excited that three-quarters of the way into the book of, a- of Acts, I get to share with you one. But the idea of providence, okay? So this comes from the two main attributes of God is omniscience and omnipotent, omnipotence. Omni- omnipish, omniscience, to tongue twister words this morning, all-knowing. God is all-knowing. And because he's all-knowing, he has providence in things. And providence simply means this, it's the protection without you understanding it's even happening. So it's kind of an interesting topic to talk about, and I wanted to share with you a story about that. When my daughter was young, she tried out for swimming. This is my oldest daughter, Courtney, and she had this fascination. Unfortunately, she was not that good of an athlete, but she was still fascinated with swimming. And she started to progress in her swimming and wanted to try out for a tryout team that was like a travel team. I knew it was going to be a big day for her and so i traditionally didn't go to tryouts for practice things but i thought it was a big day for her at a public pool a lot of people i would go and i remember she hadn't eaten she was all pumped up and excited and she had to swim a certain time to make the team she probably was young 12 or 13 years old at the time and she went out there and she did this swimming and she was really 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 close but she didn't make the time and I remember as we were walking away from the pool, one of those big concrete decks and lots of people, a traditional pool, Dylan would know all too well. She was, she was kind of short breathing. She was kind of hyperventilating because it was so exciting and she said, did I make it? And I said, no, you didn't make it. And she wanted to cry and she was really sad. And then I turned around and I said, I started to go into that fatherly pep talk. But, and as I turned around, I didn't, you know, I turned and assumed she was there. She wasn't there. She had completely passed out, straight forward, straight up and down, done. And all I can describe is like a two by four hitting the deck. And I remember thinking, well, my child just died. I mean, swimming, trial, or dying. It was a very traumatic thing because you're not used to your child doing that and convulsions and the people and the whole thing. And I remember when she's waking up from this whole thing, all she said to me is, I guess swimming's not for me. <laughs> Providence is one of those things, okay? The providence of God is one of those things that doesn't necessarily make life easier, but as a parent, that pep talk that we had right then and there became so significant in my relationship with her as the realization is that sometimes God's protecting us from things, both physically and spiritually, without us even knowing. And because of that, when he does speak truth powerfully through a providential moment, that was a providential moment in my life to say, yes. But that just means there's something else for you, right? It's like we purpose so much of our life to be so like this is who we are, and this is what we're going to do. And I'm a baseball player or I'm an athlete or I'm a this, And then all of a sudden that door closes one day, and all of our hopes and dreams come crashing to the ground, and we're like, "But why, Lord, why?" You know the proverbial honor and he's why?" And he's like, "Providence speaks to that so powerfully. And so I'm excited to, to share this with you this morning because Uh, the Bible has its own definition, but I looked on the computer. Providence simply defines as outside intervention. Outside intervention. And then the Bible actually says this, when, when one receives guidance or protection provided by God exclusively for his people. Guidance by or protection from God exclusively for his people. So, Uh, Like I said, the idea that God is all-knowing, omniscience, man, say that word five times fast in the morning, omniscient, and all-powerful are the main attributes that most people know. And I will share with you a couple more attributes at the end of the message. So today I'm going to be talking about that. I'm I'm going to pray right now and ask God to kind of bless this time. Acts 23, I'm only going to be reading 11 verses. The rest of the passage is more about what's happening behind the scenes, which will be explained in those first 11. So please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the morning. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. And I thank you for those who prioritize uh, being in your house. And I know right now there are definitely some who are listening that are sick this morning. I also want to pray exclusively for my brother Tom, who's uh, out there driving in uh, for his protection. Super grateful for the community that's here this morning. Thankful for Ralph's birthday and just all the different things that you're doing in here. I also want to pray for that person that showed up this morning needing to hear from you. Father, would the providence of god speak powerfully to that individual this morning that nothing in our life is by chance and everything that's been put before the father has a time and a place and a space and that's why we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all things will work together for those who love the lord and trust him with our lives father we do these things and ask these things in your son's precious and holy name amen so with this in mind let me ask you this we are god's children. So what can we offer God who has everything that he needs? Let me explain this again. God needs nothing, okay? He is fully equipped to have everything that he possibly could want, need, or have. He has been, and he will be. That's another attribute we'll talk about at the end, immutable, okay? And because of that, when we think about something like providence and the opportunity to share, let me ask you something. When we have our children, and we give our children the life to live, What is one of the single greatest things that we could get in return from our child, right? We try to give our children everything they need. Like I'm talking about my daughter when she was at swim lessons. And then I followed her all the way to college and tried to help pay for her school all the way into her marriage. And then I walked her down the aisle. Everything I possibly could do for my child, I did that she could have the most glorious possible life possible. In other words, you have everything you need in your parents. But what is the single greatest thing that a child can return to the parent? Love, So one of the things that we know about this immutable characteristics or these characteristics or attributes of God is the way that we show gratitude for these attributes of God is when we, of our own volition, return love to God. When we thank him and appreciate things, even when we don't understand him. So I just want to explain this to you this morning. One of the things that you'll see is that Paul, Peter, these guys in the Bible that are doing their things, one of the ways they continually remind themselves is even though I don't know what God is doing I can show my love for him by saying, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know that today the way I can show love and show that I appreciate that God is doing, even when I don't understand or see it, is to continue to stay doing what he has commissioned me to do. That truly is love. But think about other stories in the Bible that talk about providence. How about a story like Joseph, right? Here's a guy who's just the youngest. He's doing everything that his father could possibly want. He finds favor in his father's eyes. But yet in his brother's eyes, he finds contempt to the point that his brothers devise some kind of horrific plan to not only get rid of him, but they find an empty well and they throw him down there with the intent to get rid of him permanently to the point they come back and even tell dad, sorry, but your favorite little prodigal son here, he's no longer available, right? Providence in this case is so imperative because as Joseph's sitting down that well, as Joseph is asking himself, what exactly did I do to deserve this moment in my life? There's no answer that we're going to be able to give to him and say, you did this, because he didn't actually do any of that. But providence would be the one thing that Joseph can fall back on and say, you know what? But somehow, someway at the bottom of this well, that's where God wanted me today. So I'm going to sit at the bottom of this well, and I'm going to look up, and I'm going to ask God, if this is where I go and this is how I die, if this is what it is, then my job is to praise you in all things. I'm going to show love, follow what the word of God says, and praise you in all things. To his amazement, right, as someone comes to hear his cry or whatever it is and they pull him up out of the well, he has no idea of the path set before him, right? But providence, omniscience, the all-knowing God knows, I have a plan for your life, right? We, we say things from Jeremiah, we say things from the Bible, and we kind of invoke the idea of how that plan looks. And then a lot of times in real life, the plan that God is doing is completely different than the plan that we had set before us, right? None of us invoked a well in our lives, right? But let me ask you this this morning. How many of you feel like, maybe even right now, in your marriage or with a child or some situation cancer or some kind of horrific, feel like you've been thrown down a well. And you're sitting at the bottom of the well right now, and you're asking yourself, because you can ask yourself two things at the bottom of the well, woe is me and why, okay, or how is God using this to get me to... The the promised land. He has something for me. This is going to do something for me. This is going to teach me something. This is going to show me something. This is going to explain something to me that I could have never understood prior to the well. And you're like, well, time out, Pastor. If I have my choice, I would like to learn that lesson in another way okay, welcome to the big wide world of how we would all, a lot of us would, right? I don't want to go through a car accident to learn the pain and discomfort of what it's like to be in a car accident. But what is something we learned when we all had our first car accident? That we don't want a second car accident, Right? We forget the things that we learn in discomfort. We forget the things that we learn in trial. But the Bible says there are things that can only happen sometimes in trial. I love this idea that we lived in Big Bear for a year, and I drove up and down the mountain. You talk about your work drive. I lived in Big Bear because we had no money. My mother-in-law let us live in the downstairs room of a, a Big Bear cabin. And we didn't even have a bathroom or a room for our child. And the child actually lived in the closet. We pulled all the stuff out, and it was very make it work stuff, right? But as I drove up and down that mountain every single day, I remember learning something. When I do finally have a house, if I do ever finally get something one day, I'm going to have greater appreciation for it, right? Because I had to spend a year in Big Bear driving every day to Anaheim to work, which I drove for a living. So my route was Palm Springs, San Diego, and Las Vegas. So I would come in every day, load, head down to Palm Springs, sell, Return back with the money and the receipts from the day, drop off from Anaheim back to Big Bear. I killed a Saturn, a 91 Saturn, 325,000 miles. I did it by myself in the Saturn. And I'm telling you, you have a greater appreciation. So when we bought our little house in Adelanto, which I know you guys are hearing Adelanto right now going, oh, so sorry. Okay, when we bought in Adelanto, no one had heard of it. It was the first housing tracks they had ever built up there, and we paid seventy eight thousand five hundred dollars jennifer twelve thousand twelve thousand forty square feet three bedroom two bath with no fence and no nothing and we thought we were the kings of the world we were high-fiving yeah we were like we were like oh yeah this is great then realization like we're not midwesterners so this whole idea where neighbors in your backyards are all flowing together that wasn't good it took us like three years for us to buy a fence right but you learn something in that providence is one of those things that it's teaching you all the way through even when you don't understand i found this scripture very useful brothers and sisters when joseph found out that god had something for him his brothers and sisters ended up standing before him and he told them do not fear for i am in this place for god wanted it as for you you meant it for evil against me but God meant it for good, that it would bring about many people to be alive today. Church, one of the beautiful things about this passage today, and one of the beautiful things I want to communicate to you about providence of God is this. Even though the world around us might seem like it's meaning it for evil, okay? I said that, and I wasn't really thinking about that, but it's funny how you're willing to raise your hand, right? You feel like you're down that well, and you feel like you're doing whatever, even though you might feel like it's against you specifically, okay? It's against any believer of God, Right? Because the idea is the power of one believer is the power of one believer is to change the lives that you have influence on. God has placed you strategically around people, and so you are the hub, like a bicycle hub, to all these other people in life. And so if if you can feel like God doesn't like me and God is punishing me and I don't really have any value in this Christian world, then you've taken yourself out of ministry to all those people that you are the light to, right? The value of one in Christian ministry is. Like the old uh, a 1,000 starfishes walk on the beach, and the guy's walking down the beach, and every once in a while he picks one up and he throws it out, and he's like, what are you doing? That's not going to make any difference. There's a 1,000 dead starfish up here. And he's like, it made a difference to that one, right? It made a difference to that one. And that's how we have to live our lives. We have to live that more myopic, more narrow in our focus. Rather than seeing the big picture of the world's going to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing we can do about it, Church, it's been going that way from the time that the Lord was here and he left and where he sits at the right hand of the Father until he returns again, it will continue down that path and neither you or me will stop it from going there. But what we can stop is the influence that God gives us on our neighbors and our friends and family, that, that clerk at the register at Alpha Beta or Stater Brothers that you pass by every day and has that weird look and you're like, man, they really look like they're going through it. Stop yourself and say, hey, look, Are you okay? I just noticed that you have this, and I don't even know because I'm not that way, but could I pray for you? Could I buy you something? Is there anything you need? How can I tell you human to human, I see you, and how can I help, right? You're not going into some oratation about biblical theology and practices and orthodoxy and the history of the church. There's no room for that. They, you don't know what that person's need is. Like the, the old saying is, meet them where the need is. The need is right now and it's right in front of you. And you know that you're, spiritually speaking, in a better place. Show providence to them and say, hey, God might be actually doing something with you. Let me see if I can pray and ask for God's spirit to help you see what God's doing with you. As I look around the room, one of the beautiful things about a small church for me, too, is like, I, I know a lot of your stories. Like, I know, I know you guys pretty well. And so the beautiful thing about knowing your story is, I know that for some of you, you're making more peace with these issues that God, conundrums that God has given you than others. And so I just want to lay that blanket on top of all you and say, as the rain falls, it falls on all, right? So too is when the, in this life, when the, when the, when the difficulties of life fall, it will fall on all. It is not a selection of you being right or wrong because there's none righteous. It's just life. Okay. Make peace with it, take a deep breath, and trust. Why? Because he already told the apostles this in John 16, 33. I told you that it was going to be like this. I told you that there's going to be difficult things, so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Providence does not make things go away. It does not ease the burden or the pain of sitting bedside with someone who has cancer or someone who has suffered a loss. What providence allows you to realize is that the omniscience, the, God, the fact that God knows everything, means that God knew you would be sitting bedside with that person. Now what you have the opportunity of is taking a deep breath and either saying, okay, I'm going to provide the ministry of just counsel and just sit with them, sit Shiva, right? In and, and the Jewish thing, you just sat with someone and cried with them. You didn't have to give any words, just sitting with them. Or you can sit and then invoke the name of the Spirit and say, Spirit of God, if you have something that you would like to communicate to my brother or sister, please speak through me. Allow me to be that source of encouragement to them. By the way, let me read that again. In this world, you will have. Does that sound subjective at all? (laughs) Does that sound like, oh, come to Jesus? I mean, these, a lot of these churches on TV now, they come to Jesus and best life ever and give Jesus a dollar and he gives you a thousand and come on, Jesus, and go, Jesus, and all your problems go. Have, have any of you experienced that? Because I missed out on that, okay? I've come to Jesus and I've made those kind of commitments and I've seen a lot of people really struggle. I've seen a lot of people go through some really difficult stuff, but one of the most powerful things about a, a message like this is like, Have you ever had that moment in life where you were at work and you were running a little bit late and someone calls? Maybe it's a a, a panic or someone calls and they need some counsel and you're like, you know, I don't have time for this right now. But nonetheless, it's a counseling situation, so I'm going to take the call. You take the call and now you're three minutes late or four minutes late. I am one of those people that does not like to be late. I mean, seriously, I don't like to be late. I'm driving down the car and I'm thinking, I'm um, going to show up late, and people are going to think poorly of me, and I'm a pastor, and where's your integrity because you're late, and I get to that where I live by Bear and um, Sunflower, right by the mall. I don't know about you, but we have one of those intersections where there's a pretty good crash about every three months, just pretty good one, a really, because everyone's in front of the mall, and they're distracted, and they're not paying attention, and half the people are trying to make the sunflower turn at 80 miles an hour. It's just not meant for any of that. So I'm three minutes late as I get to the intersection and I see nothing but ambulances and nothing but fire rigs. And as I look out there and see a multitude of two or three mangled cars, I think, where would I have been three minutes earlier? Right? Where would you have been three minutes earlier? Like I grew up in a relationship in a small church in San Juan Capistrano at a Christian school with 23 kids in my senior class. So obviously being a a kind of an athlete at school and an athlete, there was a female who was kind of my counterpart in that. So we were naturally kind of, you know, in the same world for a long, long, long time. So when that relationship didn't work out with God, I was very, very frustrated. Like, why would you put me in someone's life if you don't have that intent? So I'm going to just stay at school at Point Loma and wait while you fix that relationship, Lord, because something's wrong here. And maybe you didn't get the memo, but obviously we're supposed to be together and this is not working out good, but I'll go to Point Loma and hang out while you work things out. Week one of Point Loma, Jennifer goes walking by with her friends and a whole different group of people, and God says, Providence says you're wrong. And I have something for you that's completely different than where you would go and what you would do. And thank God Garth Brooks wrote the song because I start singing, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. The greatest mistakes you've ever made and some of the greatest things you've, you didn't even know, church. You're going to find out today. You don't even know what's going on. There is a battle, the Bible says in Ephesians 6. There is a battle going on right now for every believer's heart, mind, and soul to the point of spiritual warfare to control your thoughts, to move your heart from orientation of God and veneration, the word we used at Christmas. Remember, exalt. There's a battle going on from your enemy who says, if I can just turn them from exalting God in all things to just saying, oh my gosh, the world, and look at the politics, and have you heard channel seven, and then channel four, and then channel two, and like, all things are working together. Every person, every animal, ask Balaam's donkey, Everything is working towards something that God already knows and understands. If he says you're going to have problems and you have problems and you still want to say why, there's a problem with you understanding what he's already given you. Why? Because he's building character. Okay? Character comes from the fire. And part of this passage today, I'm only reading the first 10 verses. There's another 35 verses that we're not going to read. And it's about all the things he doesn't even know are going on. And they're all things that are going on to destroy him. But yet God protects. I, I think about that passage in the Bible where it says, as a mother hen protects her children, right? And if you haven't been to a farm and ever seen a, a, like a, an animal that has, uh, especially birds, if they have small little chicks, if there's a dangerous situation, the mother risks their lives and they fan their wings and they cover their children, If, if If a coyote or a bobcat or something's coming in to eat chicken, there's a good possibility that there will be one that dies. But the possibility that it's one of those chicklings is probably not because it's going to be the one that covers, right? That's providence. It's covering when you don't even know. Paul's in a really difficult situation. He's put himself At the Antonio Fortress on the stairs speaking to a large multitude of people in which he originally was the plaintiff. Remember we talked about this last week. They were going after him and he had done wrong in their mind. Even though the charge was fake, they were going to go after him. Then through a very unique situation, God has now restored him to having this opportunity to speak. Because Providence says, Paul, you needed to go through that situation to get somewhere. We're going to find out today where he needs to get to. In order to get there, this whole situation has to occur. So Paul is trying to work himself out of this difficult situation. He's trying to cover all three of the accusations that are going against him. He's trying to speak. He's trying to draw the crowd into understanding what's going on. And whether he's making progress or not, everything kind of runs amok when he decides to tell the Jewish crowd that God loves Gentiles. Okay? This would be the equivalent today if you're at a, a convention and you're talking to one side or the other uh, about how much God loves the other side. it's like it's just not the right people group to share that kind of information they only want to hear that god loves the people that they care about and so because of that the roman tribune he intervenes he tries to pull paul out of the situation to save him from being killed by the crowd being torn apart and he's thinking hey if i can just get him out of the situation maybe i can protect him but then paul makes the statement people go crazy and even though paul has not been given due process without this compensation that he's a roman citizen It all runs amok on him. So let's get to this passage and let me read. And uh, I will find and put my glasses. Hey, eyeglasses, that's what helps me read. All right, Acts 23, 1 through 11. Uh, I think I got NIV for reading today. Paul is a Roman citizen, is unknown at the time. And as a Roman citizen, he's guaranteed due process, unknown to them. So let's see what happens. Now, looking intently at the council... Paul says to them, Brothers, same verbiage he used last week, I have lived my life in entirely good conscience before God unto this day. But the high priest Ananias commanded those standing beside him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit trying to try me according to the law and in violation of the law and order me to be struck? But those present said, Are you insulting God's high priest? And Paul said, Oh, I was not aware, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Then Paul, perceiving that one in the group were sad, you see, and the others were Pharisees, began crying out to the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, and yet I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead? And when he said this, a dissension occurred between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was then divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And upon this uproar occurred, and some of the scribes of the Pharisaic party stood up and started arguing heatedly, saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And then, with great dissension, it occurred, and the commander was afraid for Paul, that he would be torn to pieces by them. So he ordered the troops to go back down and take him away by force and bring him into the barracks, assuming that was a safe place. Verse 11, but on the following night, the Lord stood near him and said, be courageous, for as you have testified the truth for me in Jerusalem, which is where this is occurring, so too must you testify this also in Rome. So Paul began by addressing them as brothers. He was trying to show that he was using the same authority and the same kind of camaraderie. Remember, I talked about this last week. If you want people to listen to you, it's good to identify with them. So he's saying, "Hey, brothers, uh, fathers, we're the same people. There's no reason for you to feel like I'm coming at you or something different than you are. We're the same." And what he's hoping is to bring the Jews to an understanding that you could actually be Pharisaical and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want to be able to defend that by saying, hey, look, this happened to me because of an event that happened to me on the road to Damascus, where I was actually going to persecute people. We talked about this last week. I was going to persecute people on behalf of the high priest, on behalf of the elders who had sent me. Now he's in a situation where a high priest is actually ordering him to be struck, okay? This struck in the mouth is kind of like you're saying something blasphemous, and so they struck him in the mouth. And now he's going into a whole different situation where he's like, okay, I'm losing a little bit of control here. We talked about last week, staying calm, letting the spirit speak, trusting that if God's put you in that moment, that the spirit has something to say. And instead he jumps back out and he goes and he actually questions the authority. Would a high priest actually commend someone to be struck in the mouth? Would a high priest do that? Or in fact, is this some kind of whitewashed wall, some whitewashed tomb? Uh, and all of a sudden, he finds out that's not exactly the best way to make friends. Matter of fact, that's problematic in and of itself because Christ himself has said that you cannot speak this way to the high priest. Now, now, I made a couple of notes here. There's a couple of different reasons that I think Paul might have said that, okay? First of all, he just got struck on the mouth. So I don't know if any of you have been struck on the mouth lately, but that kind of has a way of kind of shaking you up a little. Maybe he was just like rattled and wasn't thinking about it. Or maybe it was the fact that he had glaucoma. A lot of people think that the whole Paul thorn in his side was that he had vision issues. We can see that through some of the scriptures that were written that there's some indication he had to uh, develop the scribes and develop other people, Barnabas and Silas, Timothy, to help him write uh, whatever. Possibly that's the situation. Or maybe he was following kind of this idea that Jesus had used verbiage like that, right? Didn't Jesus call some people whitewashed tombs? So I went back in there, and I, and I kind of looked at that passage, and I found this about Jesus. So Jesus did call some people uh, something similar. He said, woe to you, teachers of the laws and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. So when Jesus called the teachers and Pharisees that that was not the high priest, okay? Here in this case, he's saying it directly to the high priest. So it's a problem, and as any good believer realizes, when your foot is in your mouth and you're about to eat crow, the best thing you can do is apologize. And that's what he does. He backs off of it right away and he says, I'm sorry, I did not know. That's why he says, I was not aware of it. So that's why I give you my point there. I don't know if he wasn't aware of it from delusion, from vision, or maybe just misunderstanding how Jesus actually spoke, but he was wrong. Okay? There's no excuses. We talked about this last week. There's no excuses for us to deliver the truth without love there's no excuses. So if God's providence is going to work in our life and we decide that there's a situation where God has called us to speak, and then we decide to insert ourselves into that situation or speak kind of like what we're thinking, and we do so and it sounds more like us than it does God, then you got to realize probably something you're going to cause more division than anything else. So he backs off it, he stays calm, he then speaks the truth, and now he realizes, okay, I have them listening to me, what can I at least talk about? The issue with you guys was this idea of the resurrection of the dead. But here's the situation, guys. is like, I've met the risen Lord. Okay? I've spoken with the risen Lord. So how can I say there's not the resurrection of the dead anymore? How can I teach something that I no longer not only don't believe, but I know it to not be true? I can't deny my pharisaical upbringing. I can't deny my historical Jewish Hebrew upbringing. Matter of fact, I'm making peace with it. So I'm actually telling you, this is pretty shocking, Pharisee to Pharisee. You can be a Pharisee and you too could believe this. Because I'm talking about, I believe this because I know the risen Lord. I've spoken to the risen Lord. And he's staunch about saying that and he's not going to back off it. But the Sadducees, they're sad, you see. (laughs) And that's why they call themselves that because they don't believe, right? Now, how many of us today, when we find someone who doesn't believe like how we believe, like our approach changes with them, right? What's more offensive to you, a believer who cusses or a non-believer who cusses? Yes, right? Because why are you so frustrated with a non-believer telling you I'm a non-believer and I'm acting like a non-believer? Why is that affecting your ministry? Providence now gives you the opportunity to say, hey, look, when a non-believer acts like a non-believer in front of you, they're simply identifying themselves. Help. Now, if you're a believer and you're acting like a non-believer, that's a conversation that needs to happen off book, one-on-one. Bible says you go one-on-one, two-on-two, and then bring someone from the church three-on-three, and you have to address them. Under the biblical principle of 2 Timothy 4, rebuke, rebuke, reprove, exhort. Rebuke identify the action that's not biblical hey man you can't keep using god's name in vain like in public and think that it's not a problem it's a problem so i'm asking you please find something else to say other than god's name reprove i love you but you don't realize you're having influence and i used to be someone who spoke like that too so i'm just saying hey brother to brother and then exhort hug it out i love you this is going to make both of us better and stronger okay i'll hold you accountable you hold me accountable for my words right? Rather than saying, you seriously cussing Jim or Bob or Susie? Oh, sending him a text. I can't believe you cussed today. You know, what a letdown. Banging gong, right? Doesn't work. He's saying, hey, look, there's a way that we can do this. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that to him, to the, to the high priest. I'm backing off. Okay, let's just go back to the main issue. God has given me this group of people to speak to. There's Pharisees and there's Sadducees. I'm just going to address the people I can and say, hey, look, Pharisees. I'm telling you, one Pharisee to another Pharisee, you can believe this as the truth, because I was a Pharisee, I am a Pharisee, and I believe this. So if you want to kill me for that, that's fine, but I believe this even unto death. People that are sad, you see, are not going to really want to believe anything to death because they don't think there's anything else, right? There's a lot of people in life that think when you die, you're worm food. How many times have you heard people say, oh, we go back to being worm food, right? Right? So what's the big deal to them about how it's going to play out? Well, the big deal is not to them. It's to you is that you know that's not true. So your job is to communicate to them in the spirit of God that that's not true. Why? Because I believe that a believer who's had a, a living, breathing encounter with God and seen their life change knows that there is life after death. I believe that we know that because we know there's more to life than what this life has to offer. And because of that, we're waiting for the next life to be the fulfillment of all of our hopes and our dreams. But in this life, we're making peace with the fact that I do have trials, I do have tribulations, and I get thrown down a well far too often for no apparent reason. But rather than sit at the bottom of the well and moan and groan, I'm gonna sit at the bottom of the well and I'm gonna praise God until he either rescues me or calls me home, because that's what sovereignty is. That's what divine omniscience is. He knows all things, he's working all things out. I'm gonna make peace with it. That doesn't help, it turns violent. And sometimes it's gonna turn violent around you. So now providence is gonna try to jump in. Remember, providence is not gonna take away the pain, it's not gonna solve the problem. It's simply gonna help you ask the question, answer this question of why. Um, Back in the day when we were in school, that was always a really big thing. The what and the how kind of always change, the wind is constantly moving. But if you can solve the why, if you can solve why my life matters, you give people purpose. And one thing that's so beautiful about providence is now all of a sudden by verse 11, we're going to realize all this stuff this gobbledygook had to happen for a reason. And it comes in one passage in about six words, and it says, on the following night, the Lord stood near him and said, be courageous. That's we're going to talk about that. For for as you have testified the truth about me in Jerusalem, so that's what he's doing. He's giving his testimony. We talked about the power of your testimony last week. He's giving his testimony into all these people. He's identifying, I used to believe, this is why I believe, this is how God has showed me, but it says, so you must now testify in Rome also. How is he going to get to Rome from Jerusalem any other way? How would you know where God wants you to go unless God makes a way, right? Right? Sometimes you're like, well, I'm never going to go to that state. I don't know, when when I was younger, leaving different places in Orange County, I kind of thought Orange County was it. I grew up in Orange County, and then my dad said, I'm going to Cal State Fullerton for school. Do you want to come with me and see the school? And I remember as a kid driving from San Clemente all the way through Orange County to, to Fullerton and seeing Cal State Fullerton and thinking it was a lifetime away. Like, why would someone drive so far away, right? Now I drive that every day. You know, Californians, we drive... If you were on the East Coast, we'd drive state to state, and we wouldn't think anything about it, right? We're, we're programmed to drive. We, the world gets a lot bigger is what I was saying. And now, no matter where I go, I've kind of like, I've been there and done that. And I remember times in my life, it was the first time I had been there. And it's like, God's using providence to teach us a lot of different things. But how would I know ultimately that God wants me to get to Rome? How did I know ultimately God wanted me to get to here? because I was in La Quinta at the time and we were happy in ministry and we had done 12 years at a church and God was blessing and then all of a sudden one day everything that we had done and everything that we were doing was all come to a halt and I was faced with the option of saying what did we do wrong? Oh Jennifer, what have we done? Or I was saying okay in God's providence he has absolutely kiboshed our ministry here he has put the absolute brakes on it it's time for us to move where are we going to go? I remember throwing the paper from my house uh, we had a a two-story balcony and my wife was downstairs. And as the resumes were coming in and I was working on things, I would throw the papers down to Jennifer and I would say, what about this job? And what about this job? What about this job? And then they, and she would pick up the paper and she would read it. And I remember one of them was Mariners. And she's like, too big, stay focused, you know, because it was a small church, 200 people and Mariners is like 20,000 people. I'm like, yeah, but I came from a big church. I came from a 20,000 church. It's not a, no. Well, I chased that Mariner's job for months. 600 applicants. 600. One job. Made it to a final board with me and one other person. Six months. Testing, background, blood, mother's maiden names, everything you possibly want. I sit down with a board of their elders and do a panel questioning. You talk about old school. Me and this other person, we're the best, one of us is going to get the job, and we're going to be a Mariner's employee, and it's going to be great, and they start asking questions, and they start asking this and that, and well, both of us are applying for the pastor of what was called Belong, assimilation pastor, which I I thought I could do in my sleep, so I knew this other guy was in kind of over his head, and it was just getting to be overwhelming, and so finally the question came, and he said, somebody goes to do a, a Habitat for Humanity build through SERVE, which was another one of their ministries, through SERVE. Who should assimilate, serve who does the job with Habitat for Humanity, and that's where he's coming in, or you at Belong, which he didn't come in with, like totally trying to press, but I already knew that the person hiring me said they wanted Belong to do everything. They wanted Belong to do all the assimilation, so it made the paperwork easier for the church to follow someone. So I answered according to how I was taught, what I was saying, and without a doubt, it shut the whole board up, because that's the answer they were looking for, and I knew it, and the other guy just said, I don't know. From that point on, the whole board went crazy, and it divided, and it literally went into a warfare, a lot like this, between the two parties, and all of a sudden, I realized that even though I thought I had the job, the job exploded in front of me, and it turned out to be such warring sanctions about who was really in control, and it was kind of like the underbelly of a church, right? You get to see something behind the scenes, and then I realized like that I got an email and said, even though you were clearly the best candidate, we're sorry about your time and energy, but the job has been removed at this time as we rediscuss the parameters of the belong pastor for Mariner's Church. Church, at that same time, I look back to that one floating paper that I threw down to my wife that said, Lighthouse Community Church, Costa Mesa, my parents' home church from the 80s and 90s, right? A place where I was born at Hoag. And I realized something. Providence speaks truth loudly in your life. And when providence speaks truth, you need to get to Rome, buddy. The only way you're going to get to Rome is through this portal that's in front of you. And even though they're going to be throwing rocks and hitting you with sticks as you go through it, it's the way you need to go. We got to be very careful about asking, Why, Lord? Why would you choose this path for me? Right? I told you I lived in Big Bear that whole time. One of the things i learned about big bear was fires and the pine cone that only germinates in fire only in fire i mean what about god's design he designed that pine cone to only germinate in fire what was he saying that fire is not going to destroy everything every time there will be other things that thrive in the fire and i think that's what god's telling him paul i want you to thrive in the fire i want you to get to rome i want you to realize i have a plan for you because why? Because I'm all-knowing, and I know things that you don't know, and because of that, I'm going to use my providence at times to tell you. Like I said, the rest of the chapter from 23 through 35, it goes on to say that a group of 40 men take an oath, 40 men, that they will not eat. Pretty serious, right? Ask any guy in here. Not eat. Maybe one guy can go an hour or two, but out of 40 guys... Two or three hours. The the guys aren't going for a long time. Forty guys. We will not eat until that dude is dead. Okay? It's getting serious around here. The heat is definitely turning up. And the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about all these different scenarios that are happening to the point where his cousin hears about the plan, and then his cousin can call him and tell him and let him know. You can do all these different things and have all this insight, but you can't stop what God has already said is in motion, right? Right? Because providence says, no matter what their plans are, even if their plans manifest right in front of your face, your job is simply to do this. Boom, boom, hold fast. Right? I love that, man. When we talk about Old Testament stuff, one of my favorite attributes of Old Testament stories is this concept of holding fast. Right? Well, I want to fight. God built me. I'm a fighter. No, no. He's a fighter. We fight through this. The Bible says this is your strongest attack. On your knees, purposing that whatever this thing is that has brought you down, this thorn that is your you know arch enemy, purposing that you hold fast. That God somehow is going to use you to break through that situation. He's all knowing, he's all powerful. Someone went and asked me in student ministries how powerful is God? Okay, when you start asking crazy questions, can he build a rock so big that he can't lift? I don't know, okay? But I know that he built the solar systems. I know that he put them all in place and that when Hubble came out like in the 80s or 90s and started taking pictures of other solar systems and other things, that the 35 elements that we were told as kids that you needed for life on another planet is now like in the 70s, 80s. I'm hearing almost 100 different elements that are needed. The more we're finding out about the attributes of God, the more we're realizing something has to be holding it all together. Because it's beyond our comprehension of how it works. We just know it's there and we can see it and we can see it working perfectly. Well, what about Big Bang? Something blew up. Okay, I want you guys to have an experiment with your kids today. Go in a room and wait for something to explode. Make sure there's nothing in the room. This room needs to have no ch- no, ch- no chairs, no couches, no fireplaces, no lights, no nothing. Just a room for the sake of scientific experiment. And then pr- prep yourself in such a way that you're able to see where the explosion would take place and spend some time waiting for the explosion to happen. Right, I mean, how silly are we trying to tell people that this is how things work? The last time I saw nothing explode is never, okay? I've seen something explode, a firework or something that was built to explode, right? I have at least enough life experience to say I've seen something explode. I know what's required for something. For something to explode, something has to be there. And something has to be of some kind of chemical whatever that it doesn't like coming together. And so it's something and something and then something, right? But from nothing, ex nihilo, God said, God breathed, ex nihilo, from nothing God breathed. Pneumon, that's why you get pneumonia, God breathed, man. Divinity, okay, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, so what else can I give you to help you? Well, this is not a full message on attributes of God, but how about this? He's the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, non-Greek speakers? He's the A through Z. What's left? Nothing. Okay? He is everything. He is all the letters and he always has been. Another attribute of God is he's immutable. Another fun word you can try to use this week. Immutable. He's always been. Okay? He's always been and he always was, and he's the beginning and the end, and so there's no reason for us to try to figure it out. The fact that Paul has no idea that all these guys are trying to kill him, and then then he finds out these guys are trying to kill him, has no bearing on one thing. God needs him in Rome. And this is the path to Rome. Okay? First Corinthians 10 13. There's no temptation come upon us for which God has not provided what? A way through. Okay? You may not like the way through cancer, hardship, broken whatever relationships, you may not like the way through, but if that's the way through that God has given you, your job is to consider it all joy. And in considering it all joy, realizing that God has asked you to go through it, yield to sovereignty and this understanding that God knows the beginning from the end. And if God knows and has placed you in that situation, and when you look around in the well, there's no one else in the well, it's just you at the bottom of the well, and you realize, okay... When I am rescued, (coughs) whatever God has for me, it came through the well. Exactly. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're going to have to go through the well, little dude. And then when you do, and we're going through the well with him, right? But what greater joy is it when we go through the well? That God now has the ability to say, do you remember the well? Was I not there with you in the well? Do you remember that time when I held you at your job or took you out of a relationship and you're like, but that relationship meant everything to me. What does it look like two years later, five years later, 10 years later? Can you see perfectly now how that was not the right situation for you? That was not the right college. That was not the right, do you see clearly? Would it made any difference if 10 years ago if someone had said, but one day you'll see? No, it wouldn't have because in that moment you don't see, but God's telling us, hey, look, I got you and I'm directing you and I'm leading you. So stand down yield when i call you to speak trust the spirit of god to speak a conversation i had last week after church with someone was i missed the opportunity to speak and now i'm feeling this overwhelming guilt no you hold that guilt in front of the lord and you say lord i know there was an opportunity you call me to speak and i missed it from every situation that remains for the rest of my life let me recall that person Let me recall that and let that be a source of hope and encouragement for the future. That because I missed one and I knew you called me to it, I won't miss it again. And I'll be ready to have your spirit speak through me. Because I know when I speak, I'm just going to share my testimony. And whether they get it or not, I'm going to trust God with it. What else can we learn? Two final things God is just and God is holy. God is just. And God is holy. So, whether you like it or not has nothing to do with whether or not God says there's a penalty to pay for sin, you're gonna pay it. If you're a believer, if you're not a believer, if you think about it, if you don't think about it, it has no bearing. God is just. His justice is perfect because He was and He is and shall be. And so, when He says sin has a cost and sin has a pain, and if you sin, there will be a price to be paid be prepared because that price is coming and nothing's going to stop it. But he's also holy, right? And because he's holy and because he sent his son to die for those sins, there is this point where God relents. He relents, right? That's ultimately what Jesus paid for on the cross. The sin of our sin had to be paid. And now in Jesus' blood, we are covered to such a degree that God relents from saying, okay, your entire life of sin, Romans 8, there's no condemnation for you now that are in my Son. And I see you in my sovereignty, in my omniscience, in my all-powerful being. I see you and realize that now the single greatest thing that you can give me is love. Right? Think about that. When you venerate God, that's why God does not the first three uh, no other gods before me, do not use my name in vain, no graven images. Did you notice that the first three about the Ten Commandments are about our direct relationship with God? I can't have anything between me. You can't put something up in your house that you venerate. Venerate uh, not really a term that we use, but so veneration in the Catholic Church might be like believe it or not, there's a church that has what they believe to be a bone fragment of I think it's either Paul or Peter's finger, a bone fragment. It's in a glass case surrounded by, you know, bulletproof glass and lighting and a whole thing. And it it venerates this particular component saying, we have this, which makes our church super holy in the scope of things because of this piece of bone. And God says, I won't accept that from anybody or from any church because the only venerating I'm asking you to do is this way venerate only the person who can forgive you of sin see peter or paul might be a great man and we know that he's a good man but he cannot forgive our sins only one person can forgive you over sins that's why he claims to be the way the truth and the life and so every church that venerates should venerate exclusively jesus christ amen i mean if we don't know that church that's that's as good as it gets if you have something at home or some way of venerating or or saying some rote prayer that you say multiple times that's not what he wants just like I don't want that from my kid. I don't want my kid to come and go, yeah, I'm sorry, you know I'm sorry, no big deal, let's go, moving on. I don't want that. First of all, my kids are all grown-ups, so I'm not going to get that anyways, because they would never say that, right? But if I could have my kids come to me at 26, 29, and 31 and say, hey, you know what, Dad, you might have been right in that situation, and if I have a chance to redo that, I might reconsider that, so thanks for sharing that with me. Whew, you know, I'm, I'm loving that. I'm loving the fact that I can still have influence in their life and the fact that they can consider me valuable. And in the same sense, when we kneel and we pray and we sing, and you're like, but my voice, and I'm like, think about who you're singing to, think about who you're praying to, and we venerate the immutable, omniscient, omnipotent God. How much glory and honor and joy does it bring him? Well, one final thing. I told you last week I'm a grandparent. Man, I made it. I've six grandkids. I'm I'm as happy as can be. But when I get to hold my, my my new grandson Carson, he doesn't do anything but coo, right? Poo and coo. That's about it. And I because of my fistula from my kidney stuff, it really thumps a lot in this arm. And I just lay him on there and it's like an automatic baby sleeper. And he, and he loves it. He just cuz you know, it's it's really fluttering. And he'll start cooing. And I look at everybody in the room like you ain't got one of these. <laughs> you don't have no baby cooer in your arm, you know. Of course, if Jennifer's in the room, she don't even give him up to me, right? Like, cause she's like mama bear and everything. But I'm like, I'm a man, and men aren't really, you know. But man, do I melt like paraffin. Like I just the the, the eight pounds of nothingness. It's it's, it's mine. It's not it's not exclusively mine. It's my son's and his wife. But it's like. It's my lineage, it's my hope that he's going to do something and be something. And the fact that his brother already likes him and, you know, is excited and whatever. It's like, it gets simple, man. Church, life gets really simple. In this life, we're going to have problems and issues. We got them. But in this life, we're going to be blessed beyond belief as well. And if we keep the main thing, the main thing, if it's inviting our friends back to church and sharing the love of Christ and trying to be the light in the dark world and not being consumed by all the different things that are happening and making peace with that and saying it's, still, it's been happening, it will continue to happen. Regardless of that, I gotta choose this day who I will serve, amen? And if I choose this day that I'm gonna serve the Almighty, the way that I can show the Almighty love is the same way that this kid. What can an eight-pound, five-day-old kid do To serve the Almighty. Eat, drink, and grow. Right? That's where my hope is that he will one day of his own volition come back to me and say, Papa, I love you. Thank you for mom, my mom and dad. They're so awesome. Like I have it in my mind, the stuff I want to hear from my grandchildren one day, right? Because that's where the gold is, guys. It's not in the bank, it's not in the deposit, it's not in your money market, it's not there. It's in the investing in another human being's life. If God said the wages of sin is death and there's no other way to the Father except through me, then that's all there is to discuss anymore. Whether or not you believe it, whether or not you like it, whether or not it feels right or bothers you, I'm sorry. But I need to share that truth with you because that's where the truth is and the truth sets us free. And if you want to be free, free indeed, you need to be free of sin, because as long as your sin rules your life, you'll never understand what you need to be free of. You are in balls, and you are in chains, and you are shackled to your sin until someone sets you free. And then you're a new creation in Christ. So here's my last question to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. But what happens if you do not open the door? You can know he's there. You can hear his voice and you can tell all your friends, I know where Jesus is right there. But until he comes through that door, life change doesn't happen. And once he comes through that door, you can still be a Pharisee and believe. That had to been shocking, by the way. I'm sure the Pharisees were like, what? You can be a Pharisee and believe I saw him. He came to the door on the road to Damascus. He came to the door. I know this because it didn't affect anyone else. It only affected me. And he spoke to me. And even though he spoke to me, no one else heard it. But I know beyond a shadow of doubt what I know. Jesus is alive. And that's all there is for me to share. Church, Jesus is alive. And that's all there is for me to share with you. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We have something to share the world that's valuable and significant. It will never go away. It will never decrease in value. And it does not matter what's going to happen tomorrow in the political world or any other component of your life. If you would just hold fast to the providence of God and saying, hey, look, I don't have to see it to believe it. But right now there's a battle for my heart, mind and soul. Ephesians 6 confirms it. For seen, we wrestle not with those things seen, but of unseen principalities of dark and light, there is a battle going on for your heart, mind, and soul. And I pray that this morning you would realize God is not only in that battle and fighting it with you, but He has victory over it as well. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let me pray. Let me pray as I invite the worship team back up and uh, call this a morning. Father God, this morning, someone in this church, someone online, someone that's going to hear this message down the road did not realize, to some degree, the significance of providence. Maybe they thought providence was just another word, maybe just, uh, like many of the attributes of God, just words that they don't necessarily have good understanding or meaning or clarity about. And I pray that this morning that the clarity that they received was not only beautiful and clean, but succinct and simple is that you are in a battle, and there has been a battle for your heart, mind, and soul from the time that you were born. And yet there's only one person that claims to have known you while you were in your mother's womb. Matter of fact, this individual not only claims to have known us in our mother's womb, but he claims through sovereignty and omniscience, being immutable, being holy, and being just, that he knit us together inside of that womb. What kind of access does the Father have to his children? Total. So, because of that this morning, Father, we can pray and we can ask that yes, I'm in the bottom of a well. I came in here this morning, and I'm just, Lord, it is what it is. I've been woeing me for a while. I've been in the bottom of this well, and I'm thinking I was just living righteous, and I was just the youngest son, and I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and wow can't believe i don't have this i don't have this anymore and yet he tells us but what do you have i'm not asking you what you no longer have and no longer possess what do you still have what do you still possess for if you possess even a mustard seed of true faith a mustard seed of the hope that is a believer in christ you have everything that you need Hold fast in that mustard seed. Hold fast in the purity of God. And remind yourself of that simple prayer that you prayed. Lord, I'm a sinner. Come save me. Come forgive me of my sins. Rescue me from hell. Don't stand at the door any longer. I hear you. I acknowledge you. Please come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my Savior. Help my perspective of my relationship with my children. Restore my broken marriage with my husband. Help me realize my neighbors are not the enemy. Help me to see things clearly. And then may your spirit speak through me that I might once again be a light in a really, really dark world. And if there is someone in this room this morning that wants to say that or has said that, please come forward, come share with us. Write it on one of the connection cards. We'll follow up with you and we'll help get you someone to talk to and maybe a small group that you can join because you're going to have a lot of questions it's not an easy life right the, the providence of god does not make it easier it doesn't take away the pain from saying you have a cancer diagnosis and this is what's coming down the road from you but i would take cancer any single day of the week with salvation in christ then i would try to face cancer without knowing that my home is secure And in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If not, He would have told me so. And I hold fast to that. May Your light, Your Word help us hold fast today. We ask in Your Son's precious and holy name.
1: nothing can take me away from his love why should i worry why should i fear why should i run when jesus is here i'm safe in his arms safe in his heart and nothing can take me away about it just think about it Whoa, god is always good he loves like a father should just think about it just think about it because when i am anxious when i'm afraid i find the strength when i call on his name i'm safe. safe Safe in his heart, and nothing can take me away. Never gonna let
0: Simple, do what's in front of you.